Podcast three: More than just gut feelings. Welcome to the podcast series "More Than Guts." This is a series of educational, non-promotional podcasts on inflammatory bowel disease, which have been organised and funded by Bristol Myers Squibb. This episode is called "More Than Just Gut Feelings." Welcome to More Than Just Gut Feelings. This is a podcast supported by BMS that will focus on the communication between clinicians and patients. The key objective of this podcast is to better recognise and comprehend the challenges patients with IBD face in the care and management of their condition. We are really wanting to raise awareness amongst the IBD community, including healthcare professionals, patients, their friends and family, and also the wider public. My name is Elisa Walsh and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Translational Gastroenterology Unit in Oxford. So today we are joined by two incredible guests. Hi, I'm Gemma. Um, I'm a patient with ulcerative colitis, uh, which was, I've had that for over 10 years now. And I'm Lisa Critchley and I am one of the IBD specialist nurses from Liverpool. Thank you so much for joining us today. So the majority of patients with IBD report a significant impact of how that IBD affects their life. Rather than me speaking to this, I really wanted to ask Gemma her perspective of how her colitis has impacted on her life. Yes, um, I've had uh, ulcerative colitis for uh, well over 10 years now and have really seen my my disease um, the severity increase within that time um obviously there's all the physical effects the chronic diarrhea over 20 times a day extremely debilitating and the the fatigue and the pain that comes along with that um side effects from all those medications that you have to take um but then there's also the um psychological effects as well so for me often it was the the fear. It was anxiety over not getting to a a toilet in time, having an accident in public, mortifying things that I never thought I'd even have to think about um, as a a young woman. Um, Even the fear of being challenged about using a disabled toilet because I don't look disabled. um, All of those things sort of feed into this fear factor. Um, and worry as well. I mean, I was really worried that I would end up needing a colectomy. So life-changing surgery. Um, and um, I'm a mother. Um, and I was upset at the prospect of, of having to have surgery like that. How would I be a mother to my kids? Um, and also them seeing me so poorly and the distress that that caused them. Um, and then some of the social side of things. So cancelling not being able to go out I looked like a really flaky friend um because I would always cancel last minute I didn't necessarily always tell everyone um and I think you know bowel disease is a little bit of an embarrassing illness to some and it's quite hard to explain an invisible illness um so that kind of that was challenging as well um And sometimes it can be a lonely place when you have colitis, feeling like you can't leave the house. I think that really feeds into this, um, you know, the psychological impacts of the illness, especially over time. You kind of feel like it becomes, you become 
the illness is who you are and it sort of defines the rest of your life um so I, I definitely felt a lot of that um in the early stages um of my illness and I think it's so important that that's portrayed to clinicians so that they have a better perspective of how actually this person's managing their illness um so Gemma over time do you felt that did you do you feel that you were listened to in terms of these sort of things did we ask you about or did your doctors ask you about these sort of um feelings that you were having or was it something that you were trying to deal with alone and some tips on how we might improve that so often in clinic appointments you find that the um consultants will ask you a series of what I saw as red flag questions to see, to gauge the severity of, of your illness at the time um, and see what treatment might be most appropriate. So they'd be sort of say, how many times are you opening your bowels and are you bleeding? Are you waking up in the night and things like this? And although I could answer those questions and it would point to, you know, severe uh, inflammation at the time, um, what we weren't discussing was how are you coping with the urgency of your illness? Are you able to go to work? Are you, are you worried about um, looking after your children and not being able to um, get into a, a toilet quick enough when you've got a pushchair in tow? Genuine things that I was worried about when I was leaving the house. Um, and for me, urgency was a big part of my illness, but it wasn't really recognised as um, something that was taken into account when deciding what treatment options were best or how severe my disease was at that time. It was more what the bloods were showing or the other aspects of the illness. But I would say, from a patient perspective, I didn't really care what my inflammatory markers were doing. I I was more um, impacted by the fact that I was worried about leaving the house because I was genuinely having so much urgency trouble that I was worried about the impact of that. Um, and that had a knock-on effect on my uh, mental health. So I think that was overlooked a little bit more. I think that I think that this happens all the time, doesn't it? In in a lot of what you've said, you've used the word worry a lot. Um, other patients might use the word stress. Others might use the word anxiety, and and different people use different words. But I think they all mean sort of similar things at times. Lisa, can I bring you in here because as as an inflammatory bowel disease nurse, you as a as a group, and I'm trying not to generalise, but as a group, you're very you're good at communicating about these sort of aspects of care. And I was wondering whether you might be able to give us your perspective of the approach that you take when trying to bring up these issues with patients. So uh, it's interesting that you're, you're talking a lot about um, the mental health side of having IBD, because I think as clinicians, it's not something that we hugely focus on. Like you said, we're looking for those red flags when we're in clinic to see if patients are flaring. And then when we're, we've got the time restraints in clinic of a 15, 20 minute consultation, we're, we're talking about treatments and um, potential changes in treatments or investigations when 
actually the figures that are published when are suggesting that um, when patients are flaring that they're much higher risk of developing um, depression or mental health problem or suffering with mental health problems um, so as nurses the the IBD team we we do signpost to lo local networks um, patient panels um, for where they can tell us how we can improve on things and we're also looking at quality of life questionnaires for our patients um, but we know uh, that the burden of rushing to to the toilet or the embarrassment of the disease causes significant anxiety with a lot of our patients which can lead to further relapse so for better control um, of the disease overall we need to be addressing the the mental health issues in clinic so what we tend to do is when we've had a consultation if a patient's flaring in a flare clinic we we try to tie that off with is there any what was your expectations from clinic today or is there anything else that we can do for you um I, I think a lot of the anxiety with patients specifically who have gone through multiple therapies uh, um the biggest fear is having a, a stoma or scars how they feel about themselves or the spots when they've been on steroids or the weight loss with a lot of the the young men or weight gain with a lot of um the women with ibd so it's making sure that they feel well as um within themselves as well as with their ibd to get overall better care long term um there's nothing specific that we offer but we kind of signpost to to mind to local networks um uh, and see if there's any support that we can offer them but it is quite difficult especially with the time restraints in clinic but it is something that i think we all need to improve on and and lisa do you think there's been a a positive change, negative change or no change over the last sort of three to five years in regards to people asking or us as clinicians asking about mental health? I think um, over the past two years, especially with COVID, with us not seeing patients face to face, there has been that disconnect. And um, I'd say more so with the doctors and the consultant teams because they, they wasn't so much seeing the patients face to face until they was really poorly and had to be admitted. Um, we do, in the nursing team, tend to build quite a good rapport with our patients. And even sometimes they would they, they come off the phone from a consultant and they would ring us to clarify um, a, a plan. I think what, Le what Lisa is saying about um, the sort of making sure that we can signpost patients to the support that they need is absolutely essential um i think that when you're when you're in a really big flare and you're tired and you um have got pain every day you can really get caught in this dark spiral and i think the kind of the support around the mental health no one feels when they're really poorly you don't feel like you can make decisions um about your health you you just focus on how poorly you feel and it can feel really overwhelming and that there isn't you're never going to get better and everything feels can feel very dark for you um and that's not necessarily touched on in the clinic appointments it's more about the facts and the treatments um but it's so important that patients 
get the the other support that they need to be able to mentally build themselves up to be in a a positive mind frame to think about how they manage their disease because I think if someone's feels positive and empowered then they're much more likely to be able to ask questions um, in their clinic appointments reach out to other um, patients in forums and things like that and all of that put together will really I think because it, it really helped me doing some of those things it really helped patients to feel like they're not alone and that actually they will come through this because it's it's really difficult having a chronic illness knowing that there isn't a, a particular treatment out there so having that I, level I think, sorry yeah on. I think that's really um important with you saying to empower patients and to make them feel involved in their own care so not just telling them about the treatment changes, actually involving them in the in them consultations so they know exactly why we're changing their treatment. Because we have had patients historically who've been on a treatment for a long period of time and it's always worked for them until suddenly they, they have a huge flare up and they need to switch treatments, which can be quite daunting for them. And they they haven't quite lost hope in the drug, even though medically we can see the scopes declining, the um, the biomarkers changing. So I, I think it's um, good to keep our patients educated and involved in those consultations rather, uh, rather than just telling them what to do, involving them in the care and empowering them to make decisions and knowing exactly why we're changing things. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's that's really important. No, thank you both. That That's all sort of fantastic sort of feedback and, and things that we can, I think, all as patients, clinicians, family, friends and the wider community reflect upon. Um, just to add a point there as well, um, there was there was a recent study that suggested that around 57 patients living with Crohn's or colitis had to reduce their working hours due to ill health. And I think if you're reducing your working hours, that's also going to have a huge impact upon your mental health as well. Um, people want to provide for the families. Um, they they socialise and build relationships in work and they feel like they've got a purpose. So being ill and being pulled out of work will also have huge impacts upon our IBD patients as well. So it's about supporting them and helping them get back on their feet as well, not just with their physical health, but with their emotionally and supporting our patients as well. Thank you. Um, the UC narrative study, which was published in 2021 in Inflammatory Bowel Disease, um, prominent names on that paper, Marla Dubinsky and, and Susan Connor. This provides a fabulous insight into some of the issues that we've been talking about. To back up what we have been talking about, it does vary worldwide. However, looking at the statistics, 61% of patients in the United Kingdom with inflammatory bowel disease feel comfortable discussing emotional concerns with their physicians. So two thirds of patients feel very comfortable about talking about this. On the flip side of this, they looked at how often doctors all clinicians, in this particular study, it seemed to be doctors, but were asking about these emotional issues. And 51% of physicians reported never, ever, so never discussing 
emotional health within a consultation. So that's quite a shocking statistic. Of the 23, um, and there were 23% of physicians who said they regularly asked. So if looking at that, half are not asking at all and one quarter are asking on a regular but not an always basis. And I think we really need to strive to flip those numbers around because I think the more we ask, the more we become comfortable with asking and it becomes an expectation rather than an added bonus that happens in some consultations and not others. Um, so if we can really try to, over the coming months and years, really try to ag- address this disconnect, I think that it would be hugely beneficial for um, both patients and clinicians um, because the more that we can help people, that, that's all, all the better for everybody. I, I absolutely agree. I think... Um, for me, it feels that there there has to be um, more of a 360 degree perspective on the patient's um, quality of life. And a lot of that will come out of um, the, you know, can they leave the house? What are they, what are they doing? How's their mental health? What frame of mind are they in? And that they're able to extract um, how well a patient's doing, not just what their um, inflammatory markers are doing or their bloods are showing. Um, I know that in clinic appointments, time is really short. You always feel like you're a little bit rushed because you see the waiting room full of other patients. Um, And so you're very aware that you're not sitting there taking up lots of time from your consultant talking about um, some of the more anxieties and fears that you've got with lots of questions. Um, one of the things that works really well, I'm, I'm lucky to be um, a part of where I live, is a, a program called True Colours. And it works fantastically because it's a questionnaire that I complete at home online. Um, I do it every week, but it asks me questions about my uh, mental well-being. It asks me, have I had to cancel events in the last two weeks or have I um, have I been worried about my future with um, inflammatory bowel disease? All sorts of different questions that all um, make a big, bigger, wider picture of how well I'm managing my illness and therefore how how um, empowered I am going forward to sort of stay well and healthy. It's also a good way to, uh, a good indicator if my, if I'm saying my frequency's increased and I'm having um, more pain, then I might get a call from one of the IBD nurses saying, hmm, looks like your, um, your, graphs dipping a little bit is there something going on do you think you need to come in for an appointment but actually most of the time I'm lucky to say I'm in remission um my my illness is is well and managed and actually I don't need to come into a clinic appointment so I'm quite happy to stay at home and 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 not take up that valuable time so that's a program that I think's really really effective in getting that information so that consultants can really build that bigger picture of how well a patient's coping. Thanks Gemma. So Gemma's just said that she's in remission but she's certainly sort of been through from what I've heard in the past a torrid course over time. I wanted to bring Lisa in here because Lisa I thought that something important to discuss today might be that communication or that particular communication that we have 
or that we need to do it first diagnosis. And in my experience, it's often rush done in an endoscopy unit or clinic. And I wondered from your perspective, and I know that you do have a particular interest in this, whether you could tell us what we should be doing at first diagnosis and your experience with the communications that you've had with patients. So the reason I was really keen to join this podcast is because I also suffer with Crohn's disease. Not only am I an IBD specialist nurse, but I'm also an IBD patient. So I feel like I understand um, the importance of communication. And for me, especially around the time of diagnosis, I don't think my diagnosis makes me better at my job, but it certainly gives me an insight into what patients are dealing with and their emotions and some of the struggles that they may face. Um, So just to tell you a bit about my background, I was diagnosed um, as a teenager. I'd struggled for a couple of years. Lots of my family had uh, bowel problems, so I just presumed I was the same with irritable bowel. Um, And they're quite embarrassing symptoms to talk about when you're a teenager. Um, Although I don't feel the same now, at 16, 17, that's just how you feel. Um, So symptoms like rectal bleeding, you just did not want to talk about. So I went to my GP and I would use phrases like, I'm going to the toilet a lot or I'm feeling tired. And seeing a GP, a different GP, Um, each time I went there was no rapport and obviously there's time limitations and that's not a criticism but around that time there was no faecal calprotectin tests so it's taken a lot longer to get a a diagnosis but fast forward a couple of years I was diagnosed in a hospital um, during an admission by a surgeon. Um, I was told that I would need steroids and to go home and to come back and I would need surgery. And at the time, um, I was sat in a hospital bed at the age of 18, quite frightened on my own and didn't really know anything about inflammatory bowel disease. Um, I had lots of questions, but you can't think at that time. And when the doctors were on a ward round, they did of course ask me if I had any questions, but I felt like my mind was just going to explode. and being diagnosed with a chronic lifelong condition, I feel like that needs a little bit of a soft, uh, a more of a soft approach. Um, but following my admission and discharge, six weeks later, I was seen in an IBD clinic and the team was fantastic. I met a fabulous IBD nurse who he actually became my inspiration to become an IBD nurse. He, he would scope an endoscopy do lots of clinics he could prescribe so I made that my ambition um, to to become what he was worked my way up on a gastro ward to be in a a ward sister and eventually got my IBD post in 2019 and I think that patients when we diagnose them in clinic today um, or when they're diagnosed in endoscopy it can be a, a similar experience um, to what I went through so that they are met by an IBD nurse in, in, in the endoscopy unit. They're given information leaflets. They're, um, they're, they are asked if they have any questions. But I think from personal experience, I just don't feel like that's enough. So I know from other trusts, they do things like a new diagnosis clinic 
where they get long a, a longer period of time to chat to the patients, talk to them about the condition, how to contact the team and when to contact the team. So we would say after you've had loose stools for a couple of days rather than just contacting us on the day that they start with loose stools. So we want to empower and educate the patients. Um, or some, patient, some other trusts have education days for newly diagnosed patients. So once every three months, they would cohort the patients who have been diagnosed and do an education session. And that's something that I want to roll into the trust I'm working at currently. Um, those new patients, when they're newly diagnosed, they're very anxious. They've got a lot of questions. And even if they, they've spoken to a consultant in clinic, they will continue to call the helpline for advice. So I think investing time in speaking to those patients at the start of their journey will really pay off in the long run and give them better long-term outcomes. Um, I don't know if you think that's um, something that you experienced as well, Gemma. Uh, if you think a longer clinic appointment at diagnosis is something that we should all strive towards. I, a longer clinic appointment. Oh, that would be lovely. Um, you know, time to sort of really um, feel comfortable, um, have that time to, to, to relax a little bit and be able to, to, to talk about our symptoms. Um, all of that sort of stuff, you know, it's hard to do. It's so hard to sit in front of someone you've not really met before and talk about whether you're opening your bowels three times a day and what consistency it is and whether there's blood in it and things like that. You know, it's it's not easy, but I would say the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, the more you immerse yourself amongst other patients and kind of uh, seek out Crohn's and Colitis UK, read all their fact sheets, arm yourself with information, all of that stuff gets easier. It really does. Um, and, you know, do a little bit of research. Everyone's so, everyone's disease manifests differently. But other patients that I talk to and we share stories, it's it's always different to my own. Um, and I think actually the, the, the treatments are so different. This isn't a one size fits all treatment plan for patients with IBD. And, and some resources are out there for that as well, because there are on Crohn's and Colitis UK, there are consultation cards where you can make like three or four points to bring to clinic to discuss with your consultant. Although that the, the the clinics are often on a time restraint and they may not be able to address all of them. The The nurse or the consultant or the, the doctor in clinic can say, well, which, which of these points are most important to you for us to cover today? And they, we would be absolutely fine with that. So whatever is most important to the patient is key and building that rapport and that trust with the patient will, will achieve better long-term outcomes as well. We need to not shy away from from the questions that they have, even if we feel like we can't answer them or support them completely. If we're not equipped to support for mental health needs or anxieties, there's people that we can signpost to. I think that's right, Lisa. I think acknowledgement of the issue 
is a huge factor. And in some, speaking from a clinician's perspective, many clinicians that, that I work with and, and have worked with in the past, sometimes I feel like they're afraid to bring up these issues because they're not quite sure what they're going to do about it. But I think that acknowledging the problem and that the patient may be having a difficult time, that it is having an effect on their life, on their family, on their relationships, goes a long way. Even though you can't fix all of those problems, just by listening and acknowledging that it is a problem, I think patients certainly feel more heard. So patients who have been in remission for a long time and were just monitoring the surveillance, the serial calprotectin and the bloods, we're also adding to that a quality of life questionnaire. Um, if that patient was to to trigger or want to speak to a, a clinician, we can book them into a mainstream clinic appointment, but we're, we're trying to move towards virtual monitoring of our well patients and only speaking to them if we need to. And we find that a, a lot of the patients are happy with that because if they're well, they don't actually want to contact us. It's the ones who are sick. I totally agree because there's two burdens in IBD. There's the burden of the disease, um, which is all the things that we've spoken about, but there's also the burden of treatment. And that includes coming up to the hospital, like Gemma was saying, sitting in the waiting room, waiting for hours, having to park, certainly in Oxford, which isn't easy. Um, and you've got all these things. So there's th that burden of actually having to spend your afternoon to come to the inflammatory bowel disease clinic if you're well adds to this, you know, adds to the adds to the sort of the, the worry and the anxiety and everything about having the disease. So certainly whatever method people are using, but asking about that quality of life through whatever means that triggers, you know, symptoms such as anxiety or mood or not being able to make, um, a, you know, not being able to make activities affect on relationships is so, so important that um, certainly I can't stress that enough. So now to, to finish things off, I thought that we could all think of one thing that we could encourage people to change. And I'll go first because that's only fair. I think that the one thing that I would encourage clinicians to change and for clinicians who are listening to this podcast is to really reflect on their practice and think about how they are communicating with patients just think back through the last one or two consultations. Are you asking the question of, are people okay? And if you're not asking this, and if it's not part of your normal consultation, do something to try to change that, whether that be setting a reminder, it might be something as small as a post-it note on the desktop in front of you, just as a reminder to ask these questions, because they are, as you've heard today, really important questions. And if you can change your practice, you'll certainly be a more popular clinician, but, but more so you'll give better care to, to the patients that you see. Lisa, what would you choose as the one thing that you would change? I think I've already touched on the, the one change that I would make and that would be more time for patients at diagnosis. So whether that be um, a new diagnosis clinic where we set extra time for those patients go through how the disease works, um, treatments that they may be offered and give them time for them to ask questions and for us to answer any questions, um, tell them what to expect from a consultation or procedures 
that may need to be done and what to expect when they maybe uh, are coming to the endoscopy unit. Um, I think from personal experience, I think that's really important. But also as an IBD nurse now, I, I don't think we, we give our patients enough time at diagnosis. And that's something that I would be keen to change. And Gemma, what's the one thing that you would change? Looking back, I wish that I had um, I had asked, <laughs> I, I had lost perspective on how poorly I had become, I suppose. So mine is more about communicating with those around you. It might be family and friends, but don't, you know, don't be afraid to tell people what you're going through. I wish that I had asked for more help when I was really poorly years ago um, because it's, it's, it's really hard. It's a really hard illness when you're in a, a big flare um, and you're trying to be a mum or you're trying to care for someone or you're trying to hold a job down. It's really hard. And I wish that I had been able to communicate not only with my doctors, but I wish that I had communicated more with everyone around me um, so that I didn't ever feel alone and that I'd asked for help. And I'd, the more you tell people, the more people understand, the easier it is. Um, sometimes I used to hide my illness, particularly at work. I used to hide my illness. I think I was worried it would make me look unprofessional and that it would put me, I wouldn't be, um, my career wouldn't progress as much if I, um, if I had, you know, symptoms of colitis. So I, I, I hid it all the time. I used to make an excuse as to why I needed to leave a meeting or something because I was, I was embarrassed. So I would just, yeah, mine would definitely be to, to just communicate with everyone around you, regardless of whether that's your consultant or your family or your friends, your employer, tell people what you're going through. It's really important. Thank you so much for joining this podcast called More Than Just Gut Feelings. My name is Elisa Walsh and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Translational Gastroenterology Unit in Oxford. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Other podcasts are also available in the series More Than Guts, which are organised and funded by Bristol Myers Squibb.